Welcome to the 40th week of our 52 Greatest Chapters. You notice that uh, we're studying 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and the three lessons I'm going to show you today are, uh, and, and by the way, remember, this study that I'm sharing with you is what I have found this week. Now, you might find different things, but I'm just uh, meeting with you like we're at Starbucks or at Panera or something, and I'm, I'm going over with you what I found and encouraging you as you launch into looking at this chapter this week. So that's kind of the format that we follow as we go through the Bible. But uh, the first lesson we find in this chapter, it's the most important one, is only perfect people go to heaven. And it's, it's an explanation of the whole plan of salvation in 15 Greek words. And we're going to see that in just a minute when we get into the slides and I show you my Bible. Secondly, verse 10 talks about the most important day of my life. And if you're a Christian, the most important day of your life, it's the day we get to stand looking up at Jesus on the raised judgment seat called the Bema seat. And he asks us what we did with our one and only precious life from the moment of our salvation to our last breath on earth, what we did according to what he asked us to do. And that that's going to be a, a very big part of our study today. And then verse 20, and you see I'm not even going in order here. It should be 10, 20, 21, but it, it's just in importance. Salvation is most important. Uh, our accounting of our life is next. Uh, but the third point is our high calling from God in verse 20. We're ambassadors. And, and you know, the reason I'm doing this is because I get a lot of questions. Uh, I do get to read many of those questions you put down on YouTube underneath the videos. And, and a lot of them say, I'm struggling. I can't travel all over and teach like you do. And I thought, you probably shouldn't travel all over and teach like I do because you shouldn't do what I'm called to do. You should do what you're called to do. Did you know each one of us, God has placed somewhere, somewhere on earth to be his ambassador? And there's a certain group of people you live around, that you live with, that you work with, that you go to school with, that you're supposed to be his ambassador. You say, what does that mean? That's what this, that's what this whole Bible study is about. So week 40, uh, as we go through the key chapters of the Bible, uh, the key lessons, Perfect people go to heaven and how we get perfected, how we get to heaven. Most important day of your life, answering to Jesus Christ and our high calling. Okay. Now, I want to do all this board work so that I can get down to the slides. So let me show you the, the elements of what we need. Do you remember the MacArthur Study Bible and the details are down in the description of this video? Uh, that is a key resource because you need that to get the, the background, the context, look for key doctrines. Uh, and especially what I tell everyone that I teach, I say, when I was starting out in the ministry, when I graduated from seminary, I went on staff with Dr. John MacArthur. I became a professor at the Master's Seminary. I was a pastor at Grace Community Church, an associate pastor, and I taught at the Master's College. This Bible summarizes everything that Dr. MacArthur has taught in his 50 years in the pulpit, and it, it summarizes it with all these incredible footnotes at the bottom of every page, and with all the charts and all the background and the introductions. So this is equivalent to going to Bible school, Bible college, Bible institute. It's even equivalent to going to seminary. If you read and follow the footnotes and the cross-references, it's like at least a solid year of seminary if you really process this and study. So I would encourage you, get a study Bible. You need one. The dark days that we're in where there's so much confusion. So first you write a title. And remember, there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And we're going to do titles for 52 of those chapters or passages. A lifelong goal would be to do that titling for every chapter of the Bible, a personal title of after reading it in one sentence, what that chapter's about. And what I said chapter five is about is, it's about perfect people going to heaven, the most important day of your life and our high calling. That was my title. So that's the first thing we do. And we write that down in our journal. Now my journal that I use is again down in the description of this uh, uh, video down there. I take the description of the course that you can find on Facebook 
and I put, I've taped that in the front of my little moleskin. I put down how to do the course in the 52 chapters right here. I, I paste that in the front of my journal. And then I do the, the title, the summary, uh, then the lessons, and then my application prayer right down here. And so this is my journal, but I've typed all this out so you can read it on slides. And then after the summary, uh, doing the background context and key doctrines, I write down the lessons, those truths and principles. And then this is the most important, the application prayer. I'm asking God to make me more useful to him. Do you know what that is? That's a biblical doctrine of sanctification. And that's, that's the most important part of this study, that I read the word of God, like Jeremiah 15 and verse 16 says, thy words were found and I did eat them. The next part of the verse says, and thy word became to me. That's application. It's when it goes from our head to our heart. It came, became to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Why? Because I'm called by your name. So I want the Lord to make me more useful. I want to understand more from this chapter about how God perfected me through salvation, how he put Christ's righteousness on me, how I'm going to answer to him for my life, and how I have a high calling. So I don't need to wish I was someone else or wish I could be somewhere else. I can be his ambassador right where I am. And by the way, when I look back over my life and my wonderful wife, Bonnie, who's over there uh, running the lights and the sound and the cameras and everything, both of us looking back over our lives, do you know what we both have concluded? It has been the greatest joy in life since the day of our salvation to see how God made us an ambassador. God made Bonnie an ambassador for him from the moment of her salvation on everywhere she was, as a school teacher, as a, as a college student, on missions trips, in local churches, in our marriage and family and ministry. She was his ambassador everywhere she went. And the same for me. I've been Christ's ambassador at Hazlitt Public Schools, at Michigan State University, uh, when I worked in the trucking industry, when I worked for the Lord in pharmaceuticals, and then for 38 years or so in local church ministry, I was his ambassador. And I asked the Lord to make me useful. Now, I said the biblical doctrine of sanctification. That's another tool you'll read about down there in the description of this video. This is a systematic theology. It's Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. It has 1,270 pages, very thick, uh, not quite as voluminous as the Bible, but it's huge. Why did I choose this? Well, in my library, I have over 7,000 books in my library. I have probably 25 to 30 different systematic theology books. I've read, I had to read many of them in seminary. This systematic theology, though I don't agree with every part of it, and I don't think you agree with everything I say, and I don't think everybody agrees with everything that anybody says, except for God in his word. This is the only book I agree with every part of it. But this is the most complete study of Bible doctrine I've ever found. And it's written, every chapter, like chapter 36 is on justification, right there, which is very important for our study this week. But in... In this study, uh, Wayne Grudem puts down uh, questions for personal application, a scripture memory, and a hymn. Do you know what? He makes biblical doctrine not stuffy and boring. He makes it immensely personal. Just for an example, chapter 36, justification, which, by the way, is one of the most important doctrines in the Bible. It's how God perfected us. So if you really want to go deep in our study of 2 Corinthians 5 and understand uh, the ideas of verse 21, the doctrines, which are reconciliation, substitution, justification, and imputation, chapter 36 is immense. But do you know how he ends all these pages of theology? With this hymn, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress, midst flaming world in these arrayed. With joy shall I lift up my head. Bold shall I stand in that great day. For who ought to my charge shall lay? Fully absolved. Only perfect P. 
people go to heaven. This systematic theology, for those of you that want the seminary level, Bible Institute level, this is how you understand. Maybe you don't agree with every word. He's, he's five-point Calvinist. He's a, a, a continuation. He believes spiritual gifts are still operating uh, to some extent. Uh, he, he's Baptist, Reformed. He's all these different things, which you might not agree with all of them. But I will say that he is the most concise living systematic theologian and one of the most valuable books I've found for the big doctrines of the scriptures. So that's Wayne Grudem. This is what we write in our journals. Uh, this is what we use to find the background context and key doctrines, our MacArthur Study Bible. And these are the lessons. And this is why we're doing it. So you can survey. If you stay all 52 weeks, now I know some of you are just starting today. And you know, it's, it's uh, fall, we're, we're, we're in the fall of 2021. You say, should I go back to number one? However you wanna do it, there's no need to go in any, any starting point. If you start with us in week 40 and go forward, that's fine. Some of you wanna start in week one, you don't have to start in January. What I'm saying is, just stay with us all 52 lessons. You'll survey the Bible. Just stay with us all 52 lessons and you'll get all the important doctrines, the attributes, and you'll learn how to find those applications and you'll start a lifelong habit. Okay, let's jump into the slides. And, and here is, is uh, how I track with you. Uh, this is what I have in my journal, week 40. It's 2 Corinthians 5. The three lessons, number one, only perfect people go to heaven. The most important day of our life is standing before Christ. And each of us have this high calling that, that the Lord has given us. Uh, many of you in the comment sections have asked who I am, how did the 52 chapters come about, and why are you teaching this course? Uh, this is my introduction. This is who I am, saved at age six. Uh, called to ministry at age nine. I went to Michigan State University, uh, Bob Jones University, the Master's Seminary, Dallas Seminary, pastored for almost 40 years. Uh, this is me, and this is my wonderful wife, Bonnie, over there running the soundboard and cameras. This is our ministry website. We're actually full-time missionaries with the International Division of Discover the Book. Uh, this is where the 52 chapters came from. After reading the Bible a hundred times, I made a list of the most impactful um, parts of the Bible that, that applied to my marriage, to raising children, and helped me as I served and taught in all these countries. And that's where the list came from. Uh, but what's the reason for it, the why? Well, this course was designed to prepare you as a believer for the end of days, deceptions and delusions that Satan is going to increasingly pour out. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Did you know that in the scriptures, Jesus most warned his disciples, don't be deceived, his disciples. Did you know we're living in what Jesus calls, in the book of Hebrews, Jesus said, in these last days. We're living in the last days. Do you know what the key focus, goal, target Satan has? To confuse us, to deceive us, to delude us about God's plan, the direction the world is going, uh, the plan of salvation, who needs the gospel, how people get saved. See, Satan wants to disable us, to make us feel confused. In fact, do you know what the book of James says? Confusion doesn't come from God. If you're confused, it's not from the Lord. Confusion is a time to have a timeout and say, wait a minute, God, if, if things are confusing, you're not the author of confusion. Satan is. And so if you're confused about doctrines or things in your life or directions or whatever, it's not from the Lord. It's a timeout for you to ask the Lord to give you the wisdom that's from above and for you to operate on his truth. So back to the slide. Uh, remember Satan's goals are to deceive and delude us. And so he's pouring that out, especially in the end of days. So the goals of this course, see this is, this is why the big why of the 52 greatest chapters. 
My goal is to see you get into the word daily. If you want this to work, you just do a little bit every day, all week long, and then you watch the next intro, which I'm doing right now, and get started on another week. Here we go. Number two, to teach you to personally know and defend true doctrine. Now, look up for a second. It's wonderful to have a study Bible. You can't carry this study Bible with you everywhere. I mean, I guess I do. I have it on my phone. <laughs> an electronic version. But you know what the goal is? For you to know what the key doctrines are, for you to know the plan of salvation so clearly you can defend it, you can share it, uh, you, can, you can see error. See, to, to know and defend doctrine. And by defend, for me, when I, when I listen, like this past Sunday, Bonnie and I were sitting in church and as I was sitting in church, I was sifting everything that the pastor I was listening to was saying through the grid of the scriptures that I've read my whole life. And, and it's like a filter system. And, and if anything he said went, and it stopped on the filter, I went, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does the Bible say that? Is that really what the scriptures say? See, that's what it means. Acts 17, 11 says that the Bereans checked everything Paul taught every time he taught them from the scriptures. That's my goal for this class. So look back at the slide. To teach you to personally know and defend true doctrine and to, number three, start you in a lifelong habit of applying God's word into your life daily. And that's, that's really the goal of this class. Now, back to week 40 uh, in 2 Corinthians 5. This is the greatest chapter because it has the greatest day of your life and the greatest verse in the Bible. And that's what we're going to study. Now, do you remember this whole course, and you've just jumped into the 40th week, is a survey of the whole Bible by the 52 greatest chapters. But look at this. We're using the devotional method. What is that method? That you write out a title after you read through the passage you summarize in one sentence what the whole chapter is about. As you're reading all week long, every day as you read the chapter through, so I would suggest you read chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians each day, note all week long as many lessons as you find, truths and doctrines, and write them down in your own words. The goal is to get to this application prayer. Now, this is what I do. I actually write an application prayer each day. This morning, I was out reading 2 Corinthians 5 this morning. Uh, it was 19 degrees, but where we're staying has this beautiful fire pit. So I was actually leaning forward, and I had my Bible there between me and the fire, hoping none of the sparks would get on the pages. And I was reading and marking, but when I got all done with that, I prayed an application prayer. I'm going to show you that because I, I wrote it down and I typed it. And I'm going to actually, at the end of this class, I'm going to pray it with you, uh, listening for you to see how to apply this chapter. Okay, back to the slide. You write a prayer in which you ask the Lord, so it's between you and the Lord, to unleash one or more of these truths or lessons you found into your life. And th that's sanctification, saying, Lord, change me, make me useful. And then try and find someone to share these life-changing truths with. That's really the goal of this class. Now, the big picture is understanding God's word. Look where we are. We're right here on the 40th week. Now, last week, we looked at the gospel and our resurrection bodies. Next week, and I've already started on this, I'm so excited, uh, we're justified by faith and not law. And I'm going to talk about the... Uh, the false doctrine of, of uh, the Roman Catholic Church, of Mormonism, and even of Islam, and actually show you how you can see that the way of salvation of Romanism, Mormonism, and Islamism is not biblical. So that's coming in Galatians 1 and 2 next week. Oh, the next week, spiritual warfare, and then I can't believe Titus 2 is coming. But that's the plan. Uh, week 40 is where we are right now. Next slide. Uh, second uh, Corinthians is, and this is an outline. I did this outline for you. Uh, this is not, you don't have to do this, but this is to give you a context, to show you the context. Paul surveys his ministry in the first five chapters. His motivation for ministry, 
and then his message. So see where we are right here is, is the key to Paul's ministry. It's what his message of the gospel was. What continues after this is uh, Paul's appeal to the people of Corinth. Those were his converts in Corinth. And he gives them spiritual appeals, and then he talks about material things. He actually talks about money and their giving and, and that they should invest in the ministry of the local church. And, and of course, of his ministry, because he wasn't there with them. He was actually in Macedonia, and they were sending funds from Corinth to help him in, in Macedonia. And then, so that's verses, uh, I mean, chapters 1 through 5 is his ministry. Chapter 6 through 9 is his appeal to the Corinthians. Then Paul has this concluding section answering all of his critics. Remember, as soon as he left Corinth, everybody started criticizing him. And, and so first, Paul talks about the false accusations of the critics. That's chapter 10, and you'll see that in chapter 11 if, if you uh, are reading the whole book through. Then he talks about his credentials. So that's an overview of the whole book. What's, where does uh, 2 Corinthians fit in the chronology? Well, right here it is. Paul has already written Galatians. That's his first epistle. Then he wrote 1 and 2 Thessalonians while he was in Corinth. Then he writes back to the Corinthians as he goes on to Ephesus in his missionary journeys in 55. Now he's writing this epistle on his third missionary journey from Macedonia. We don't know whether he was in Philippi or Thessalonica. He was in one or the other. Then he, he continues on his journey. I'm going to show you a map in just a second. And he gets back to Corinth. And look what he writes, his epistle to, the, to Romans, uh, the citizens of Rome. Uh, and I mean the church that's in Rome. And then... Look, here are the prison epistles. Paul writes these while he's in prison, either in his imprisonment in Caesarea or in Rome, his first imprisonment, I might add. Then he gets released from his first imprisonment. Remember, Nero doesn't find him guilty of the first charge, and they let him out. And Paul writes 1 Timothy from, again, either Thessalonica or Philippi. Then he gets back to Corinth, and look, he writes the epistle of Titus, one of my favorites. Then look, his second and final imprisonment, he writes 2 Timothy. Now, it's easier to see the, the whole thing with a map. Uh, the third missionary journey where Paul writes 2 Corinthians, he leaves his home church of Antioch. That's where Paul based. And he walks through Roman Asia, gets to Ephesus, uh, then ministers in Ephesus before he sails over here to Thessalonica. And somewhere between Thessalonica and Philippi is where he writes 2 Corinthians. And he, he goes from Philippi down here uh, to Berea, goes to Athens, Corinth, back up and sails from, and you know, over here in Philippi, Neapolis, goes to Ephesus again, meets with the elders at Miletus, goes back to Jerusalem. So that's the third missionary journey where Paul writes this. Remember Paul's life, and this is the background, he was saved in Acts 9, goes to Arabia and is trained by the Lord, goes to his hometown, look at that, for about seven years uh, that he spends uh, a couple years and then seven years here. Before, and then he goes on from there to Antioch, and that's what is in Acts 11. He's trained by Barnabas, and then look. Then he goes on his first missionary journey, which is Acts 13 and 14. Then he goes on his second missionary journey, writing those epistles I just showed you, Galatians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians. Third missionary journey, which is up here in the book of Acts. He writes 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and Romans. Then he's captured in Caesarea and Rome for his first, uh, what we call imprisonment. That's when Luke and Acts are written by Luke. He writes his four prison epistles and spends a hard, alone, suffering decade in this imprisonment here, a little release time, and then his final imprisonment when he's executed, from which uh, flow these epistles. So that's an overview of his life. Okay, look look over here at my Bible, and I want to show you 
how when I study the Bible, um, and this is just, uh, and a lot of you say, what Bible, what Bible is that? Well, that's down in the comment or in the, the little description section of this video. Uh, but I write, um, I underline stuff that's important. We know if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. Uh, we know our destination. Uh, I think about this, I'm gonna comment on this tent. Um, the spirit is our, is our down payment, our guarantee at home in the body, absent from the body, present with the Lord, um, right here in verse eight. Uh, then we are gonna study verse 10, the beam of seed. Uh, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we have the fear of God, uh, but we also have the love of God here in verse 14. Now flip over, here's the rest of chapter five, 2 Corinthians 5, 15. Uh, I love this, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him, and I, a little asterisk. I love that verse. Uh, and then right here, remember, uh, we are ambassadors for Christ. Remember I told you that? Uh, that's what we're supposed to be no matter where we are. And then here, verse 21 is the most important verse in the Bible. He made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin, Jesus was sinless, to become sin for us. That means he, he, he imputed to Jesus all of our sins on the cross. We'll talk about that so we might become the righteousness of God in him. So back to the slides, that's my Bible. Now this, and I'll show it to you, is the MacArthur Study Bible. Look at how many notes John has at the bottom of the page for 2 Corinthians 5. He gets you thinking about reconciliation, substitution, justification, and imputation. So those four doctrines right there, you don't, you don't need if you can't afford or don't want to, to be in such a heavy-duty systematic theology, you don't need Grudem. John gives you the basic overview of these doctrines. But for some of you, I know because I read your questions, uh, you really, really need to go through this systematic theology. And on every page, it's filled with scripture references for you to understand the backdrop for all these doctrines. What is a systematic theology? A systematic theology takes all 31,000 verses of the Bible and sifts them through and puts them in groupings by doctrines. So this is not a biblical theology, which is the order of doctrines in the Bible, like a biblical theology would have the doctrines in Genesis and Exodus. They call it the Pentateuch, then the historic books, then the poetic books, then the prophets, and then the New Testament, Gospels, then the epistles, then the general epistles and Revelation. That's a biblical theology. It's called the unfolding of the doctrines. That's different than a systematic theology. A systematic theology sifts them and puts all the verses from the whole Bible together with each doctrine. So, uh, but back to the slides, uh, I encourage you at the very minimum, you need your own personal Bible and notebook and a study Bible like the MacArthur Study Bible. But let's get into the journal. Now remember, this is my journal right here. And remember, I've already spent all week long and I have all of my notes written down but for you to be able to read them, I typed them. So look back at the slides. Here's my journal typed out for you. At the top of the journal, I write what week we're on, what chapter we're studying. I do my title, Only Perfect People Enter Heaven, The Most Important Day of Your Life, and Our High Calling from God. Now, probably an English teacher would not say that's really a, a proper sentence, but it's my ideas, and I said write them in your own words, okay? Um, summary, now look at this. Paul is on his third missionary journey. I already showed you the map. He's writing back to the saints at Corinth from Macedonia. Remember, he's either in Thessalonica or Philippi. In chapter 5, our chapter, he's focusing on the most important day of our life. That's verse 10. It's when we stand before Jesus. Then, in verse 21, he explains how we get to heaven only by the substitution of Christ in our place. He took our sins and the imputation of his perfect life to our account. That's what those 15 Greek words make it maybe the most important verse in the Bible. Okay, let's go through the lessons. This is what I found as I was reading. This is what I wrote in my journal. Verse one, life on earth is a tent. 
God is making us an eternal dwelling in heaven. So basically what I say is that life, I actually wrote this in my Bible, life is camping. But look at this, heaven is home. Did you know that changes everything? That's changed everything in my life. My earthly life is camping. You ever camped? There are mosquitoes and dirt and bug and sweat and smells and everything else. In fact, look at here, 2 Peter 1.14. Peter said, I'm about ready to, to take down my tent. I'm ready to go to heaven. That's what Paul's saying right here in verse 1. He says, my earthly tent is wearing out. He was thinking he's, he's so persecuted he's going to die. But my eternal dwelling's in heaven. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul said, our light momentary afflictions, my camping life with the leaky tent and all the bumps and everything is hard, but heaven is home. Boy, that's transformational. Here's the second thing, my second lesson. We can long for the moment. Uh, look in your Bible at, at verse 2. Now, I've moved my Bible, but I'm going to turn over to verse 2. Look at your Bible, verses 2 to 4, and this is what, what I see. For we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation from heaven. Indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan. We can long for the moment when mortality, our tent, is swallowed up by life. How did Paul talk about that? In 2 Timothy 4, 6, he said, the time of my departure. Paul called death a departure. Departure. Do you know what that Greek word means? It means, number one, sailing away in a boat. You ever been on a cruise? Most people think it's exciting to go on a cruise. It also means breaking camp, you know, taking down your tent. Breaking camp. So Paul said, I look at life is getting ready to stop camping and go to the warm shower and comfortable bed of home, which is heaven, or sailing on a cruise, the greatest exciting moment of my life. That's what's ahead. And so that's a lesson. Now look at the next, my third lesson. The Holy Spirit in verses 5 through 8 is a down payment on life eternal. And Paul says, in verse 6, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Boy, that's a lesson. Here's my fourth lesson. The aim of our life is to be pleasing to him. Wow. I wrote two verses down in my notes. 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Paul said, I taught you how to live and be pleasing to him. You want to know the simplest way to live the Christian life? Pleasing God. Pleasing God. Now, look up from the side for a second. You want to know how to be the best worker at your job, the best student at your school, the best husband or wife or son or daughter or whatever neighbor? You want to know how to be the best of anything in life? Live every day saying, Lord, I want to please you. And thinking about the fact he's watching. If your boss or your teacher or your girlfriend or someone you admire, like your wife is watching, if you love them, you would only do what pleases them if they're watching you. Now look back at your notes. The aim of life is to be pleasing to God. He's watching. And that's what Hebrews 13 says. Okay, next lesson. We each have an appointment at God's accounting department, the Bema seat of Christ. Now let me talk to you about that. What's the Bema seat? Well, here's a chart. Now if you've done our Revelation course, you've seen this many times. If you haven't, when you're done with 52 chapters, you ought to do Revelation. But right here, Revelation, these are the chapters of Revelation. See, 1 to 3, 4 and 5, all the way to 22. These are the events. So the book of Revelation is a chronological view of the future. Going from the present, we're in the church of Christ on earth. What's the next event? The rapture. For us, it's described in John 14, Luke 24, Acts 1, 1 Corinthians 15, and 1 Thessalonians 4. And the Lord comes to take us, John 14 says, to our place he's prepared for us. Uh, he's coming again, he told us in Luke 24 and Acts 1. He's coming in the twinkling of an eye, and he's coming at the last trump. Now what happens? Well, when the church is in heaven, it's the Bema seat. So see where we are? Right there, 2 Corinthians 5. That's the Bema Seat Judgment, which 
The next event after the rapture is the Great Tribulation, the second coming of Christ, his thousand-year rule, the rebellion of those in the millennium, and then all the wonders of heaven. So where we are is right here in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Okay, what should we be doing? Oh, by the way, Bonnie and I were teaching in Greece uh, last month, well, two months ago in October. And uh, this is the Acrocorinthus, the high place of the city of Corinth. And this is in the city of Corinth. And this structure is the Bema. Well, actually, the Romans call it the Rostra, Rostra. This structure is still in Corinth. It was there when Paul was there. And that's where the judge or the governor would sit up here and on a judgment seat. And the accused would be right here in front. And they would plead their case. And Paul uses that word, bema, the raised seat, as what we're going to stand before Christ's judgment seat. By the way, Martin Luther, remember the great reformer? Do you remember what he said? I have two days on my calendar. I live every day today and thinking about the day I stand before Christ. So day one is today. Day two is the greatest day when I answer for my life. I hope you live that way too. How I put it is, and if, if we were, by the way, look up for a second. Remember, I'm sitting down now, so this is more like the 52-chapter study. In the 52-chapter study, which I did with 10 small groups when I pastored, uh, my most recent or final pastorate was in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I encouraged all the men in my group, bring their Bible and their journal. I would introduce, just like I'm doing now, a chapter. I would show them what I found in it, and then we would discuss how to apply it. And this is one of my applications. So just imagine we're sitting at Starbucks or we're at Panera or Chipotle or wherever we are in the world. And I'm sitting across the table like this and you have your Bible and you're studying 2 Corinthians 5. And I would look at you across the table and I would say, do you know what verse 10, what the Lord has done in my life through verse 10? Now look at your slide. I'd say you need to live like a microphone is broadcasting all of your words and thoughts before God and all of the people that know and love you around you. Wouldn't that make you live a little differently? Or just the verse 10 says we should just live the constantly confessing, forsaking, and getting cleansed by Jesus kind of life. What that means is I'm constantly agreeing with God that I'm struggling and I'm, I'm, I need his cleansing. That's, that's what 2 Corinthians 5 does for me. Okay, let's talk about standing before the throne. In our study, I would say a, a parallel passage is Romans 14.10. This is what Paul said. We all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. Look at this. Each of us, each is one by one, shall give an account of himself to God. Wow. That's when we stand before the throne. When we're standing there, do you know what Revelation says? There's going to be that crystal sea of glass. So we're all alone, standing on this, this glass pavement that has like flames uh, sparkling through it. We're surrounded, Revelation 4 and 5 say, by the 24 elders, and they represent all the saints of all time, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. That's probably uh, the representative group that the 24 elders are. Remember, they're already in heaven, and, and you say, oh, wait a minute, what does all that mean? You have to study, wait a minute, look up. If you want to understand Revelation, take the 20 lessons of the Revelation course. And remember, also, for those of you that, that want to, I'm going to jump up and show you this. Do you remember, I spent 10 years of my life uh, working on my doctorate at Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, I was pastoring and having a family and ministering and everything. That's why it took me 10 years to get through seminary. But when I got done, I wrote my dissertation. And this is my dissertation. This is 10 years of my life 
distilled into a book called Living Hope for the End of Days, but look what it says, 365 daily devotionals. Now, that's what the, the Revelation course that you can do online on YouTube is all about. But some of you do better not with uh, video and audio. You like to read. So we've distilled the whole course down into this 365, one a day, Monday of week 14, Ephesus in the first century. Ephesus was second among the cities of the empire. Only Rome exceeded their wealth and power. And it talks about the, the history of Ephesus and then concludes with, you can please God by making Christ and his word preeminent and renounce your old life. So every day there's, there's a section to read, a background, and an application for your life. So I just wanted to tell you that. Now, back to the slides. And that's where I explain the, the 24 elders and what they represent. Then Revelation 4 talks about the throne, but Daniel describes it in a different way than we see anywhere else in the Bible. I watched till the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. Hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame and a fiery stream issued and came forth before him. And look at this, a thousand thousands ministered to him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. That's the throne we're going to stand before when we give an answer. And this is what Paul says. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Remember, we've already done a lesson on that, but I'm just reviewing it. If anyone builds on the foundation, these are our choices in life. Gold, silver, precious stones. That's what the Bible says we should live like. Or foolish choices, wood, hay, and stubble. Everyone's work will be made clear. It's revealed by fire. The fire will test everything we've done. And if it endures, we get a reward on that greatest day of our life. But if anyone's work is burned, that means you wasted your life. We suffer loss, but we're still saved, yet so as through fire. Wow. But here's the moment. Verse 10 talks about we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And one by one, we're going to receive what we did with our body. What we did with our body, whether it was good or Good for nothing. By the way, that's the word faulon in Greek. Faulon. You know what it means? Good for nothing. What does that mean? Well, let me now. Here, look up again. Now, remember, this is another one of those moments. And I can remember so distinctly doing this. Uh, early morning breakfasts, lunches, afternoon coffees. I remember one group I had was active duty policemen. And they would roar in. Meet me at a at a uh, highway exit because they were state troopers, and we would study the Bible together. It was a wonderful time, and I'll never forget. At each of these, whether that group or the businessmen's group or whatever, I would lean across the table like this, and and this is what I'd say. Let let me read this to you, and and you think about this. Your life right now, in my life. In fact, I would tell them. I'll talk about me. Not about you, because I know my life better. My life is being poured out before God, and I would read them to this. Have you ever thought about that? Our lives are like a pipeline stretching up to heaven that pours out every action, every thought, and every motive at Christ's feet. So everything I'm doing right now is pouring out at the feet of Christ. Before anything goes in that pipeline, God zaps it and erases and gets rid of every sin. Why? Because every sin I've ever committed from when I was born all the way through till I was age six and was born again, through today, 59 years later, since I got saved, to my last breath, on the cross, Jesus paid all for all those sins. Now, here, let me, I always like to draw on the blackboard. This is my birth, 1956. This is my salvation when I was born a second time in 1962. This is today, 2021. And this is my last day on earth. On the cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid for all my sins from my birth to my translation to heaven at the instant of my death. All my sins are paid for. He zaps them out of the equation. 
Now look at the slide, because I want you to see this. At the start, God judicially erases apps and get rid of every sin. That's justification. So that's not in the pipeline that's spewing out at Christ's feet, my life being poured out before God. But everything that's not sinful is flowing upward from each of us to the very presence of God. And Jesus sorts it out. One pile is good. It's worthy of God. It pleases him. Remember I talked to you, pleasing him. That was verse 9. And it is worth God keeping forever. Did you know they're part... Look up for a second. There's, there's stuff you and I can do. That's why I told these, these, all these different groups, my small groups, when I used to meet with them, whether it was the, the policeman or the retired policeman or the businessman or just, I, I used to meet with a bunch of college sports coaches at, at Western Michigan University. All these different groups. I'd say, did you know you can do things in your life that are so wonderful? God says, I'm going to keep that forever. Have your kids ever written on a, you know, made a card for you or, or a Valentine or, or a birthday card or your wife or, or have you ever written something as a husband to your wife and they said, oh, that's so special and you find that they keep those things? Have you ever kept something, a reward or trophy or something that was important to you, a reminder? We understand the concept, don't we, of treasures, of things that are important to us that we keep? Did you know... God keeps moments of my life that I live according to his word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look back at the slide. The good pile of everything that's pouring out from my life every moment without any sins. So every moment without sin is pouring before God and one pile is the good stuff and he's going to keep it forever. The other pile goes into the incinerator. That's what uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, that I already read to you, says. It's bad. It's worthless. It's unworthy of God. It's not worth saving in eternity. Now look at this. Don't waste your life living for what will only burn up. That's the Greek word in verse 10, faulon. It's the word bad. doesn't mean sin. What does it mean? Good for nothing. Now think about that. Do you think there's a reward in heaven for watching television? Hey, look up. Well, maybe if you uh, do your Bible study, uh, you know, you, you do a Bible study that you're watching on a television monitor or on your screen. But do you think God rewards you for how many hours you spend watching Netflix and eagerly waiting for the next, you know, or your Disney Plus or Hulu or whatever, your Amazon Prime? Do you think there's a reward for watching television? Well, maybe. Maybe you're doing a cultural view like Paul did where he's quoting from philosophers of his day as he shared the gospel. So yes, you can get rewards in heaven for watching television if you're using it to understand our culture and use it to witness. Look back at the slide. Do you think God gives rewards for playing sports? Well, if you do what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So if you're doing sports for the glory of God, I think you can get a reward. But what about watching sports? Can you get credit in heaven for watching sports? How about going to the movies, especially the ones that, that are rated in such a way? Uh, in fact, I noticed that m most of the current things uh, are for mature audiences on Netflix these days. Do you think God is going to give you a reward in heaven for how many mature audience, gory or worse movies? How about just aimlessly surfing the web? Do you think there's a reward in heaven for that? Uh, you know, this is what, and, and you can look up uh, from the slide. This is what I tell my Bible studies. They said, why don't you write down on a piece of paper what you would like read at your funeral and say that, that John loved his wife all of his days and was faithful to her. John loved his children and prayed for them every day of their life, before they were born, knowing they were coming. That John fulfilled his calling from God. That John wanted to live a life that was pleasing to God, who was watching him all the time. 
Write out what you want read at your funeral and then ask God for the grace to live that way. Ever thought about that? Look at the slide. Write out what you want said at your funeral and then just live that way. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us. It's getting ready for the greatest day of your life, the day you give an account before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? Now let's keep going. We're, we're on verse 11. We're only in... Honey, what minute are we on? Uh, I have to get this done in one hour. That's all the time allotted. So verse 11, we should persuade others to follow Christ. Do you remember I talked to you already in the, the Romans section that week we studied Romans about gospel tracts, making a prayer list of unsaved people, and marking your Bible with the Roman road. So that's what verse 11. Be ready to persuade people to follow Christ, okay? Uh, verses 12 to 15, the love of Christ compels us to no longer live for ourselves. That's how everybody around us, all the people in the world that are unsaved or fleshly Christians, live for themselves. But when you're sanctified, you're living for Christ. Wow. Verses 16 to 19, look on everyone as a target for God's reconciliation. And, and what that means is that, that we want to help people get reconciled for God. Look what I wrote here in my notes. Ask for divine appointments. Now, look up for a second. Anytime I'm teaching a course, you hear me always talk about, I'll, I'll tell you about my most recent one. Bonnie and I were teaching uh, in Greece. We, we did six, six weeks of teaching in Greece and two weeks of teaching in Italy. And while we were in Greece, uh, we were, uh, I mean, it's a very challenging place to live. The national church is the Greek Orthodox. Most people are, are kind of inoculated against Christianity because it's their culture and they don't realize it's a personal internal transformation. And so as I was preparing for courses, I would be up really early in the morning preparing to teach. And I remember one morning I walked to this Greek coffee shop and I just ordered a latte and it was, you know, one and a half euros and I got the latte. But I was just smiling and friendly and, and uh, said hello to the barista who was also the cashier who happened to be the owner and went over and sat at a table with my latte and read my Bible. Didn't think anything of it, left, went back, taught all day. Next morning, same thing, I came over. On the third morning, the barista clerk that ran the cash register owner in other words, it was a one-person uh, one outfit there. As he was taking my euro and a half for my coffee, in English, he said to me, isn't this amazing to think that halfway around the world someone would have watched me drink my coffee, watched me read my Bible, put two and two together, figured out that I was a Christian? Because you know what he said to me? Why? Are you a Christian? I said, excuse me? He said, I'm Greek. I'm Greek Orthodox. But he said, you're different. He said, I watch you. You are reading that Bible and praying like, like it's real. Why are you a Christian? And I got 10 minutes to share the gospel with him. And I gave him a, a gospel track. But I shared the gospel with him. Why? Look down at your slides. Because I look at everyone because of, of God's word as a target for God's reconciliation. And I actually told him, you, God wants to forgive all your sins and take you to heaven. And he wants you to be reconciled with him. The next lesson I found is in verse 20. We're all Christ's ambassadors. And I already told you that. You should be Christ's ambassador wherever you are. Uh, finally, the gospel summarized uh, and that's what I've been talking to you about. The justifying death of Christ opens for me the sanctifying life of Christ. That's my hope, which that guy at the coffee shop could see. That's my joy. And that's why I have peace. You know what peace means? You feel complete. You don't feel empty. You feel like everything you want and hope for and everything you have. It's not like you're endlessly looking for something else because you found Christ. What is salvation? Verse 21 says... God is a God of new beginnings. We become a new beginning in Christ. We have hope of eternal life. We have peace through life. We have joy, a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. We have divine power to live. Um, 
the 21st verse is about justification. Basically, justification is God punished Jesus on the cross like he committed every sin that we have ever sinned. Wow. And God erases the record of my sin and puts it on Christ. That's justification. Wow. It means I'm never guilty. I'm never fearful. I never feel condemned. God's never going to look me in the eye and say, why did you do that sin? Think about that for a minute. It says in Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. God is not going to look at me and ask me why I did any of the countless sins of my life. Why? Because all the sins of my life, this is Jesus. God took all my sins. This looks like the pile of my life of sins from my birth through my death. All those sins at the instant of my salvation, God put them on Christ. And erase the record that I committed them. That's what justification is all about. Look back at your slide. Because I'm justified, I don't ever have to feel guilty, fearful, or condemned. What happens if I feel guilty, fearful, or condemned? It means I'm not confessing and forsaking my sins because he wants to cleanse me from them. The, the cleansing is the emotional feeling, guilty and fearful and condemned, that I have when I'm not living, confessing and forsaking sin. God wants me confessing, 1 John 1, 9, and forsaking, turning my back on sin and going into Christ's arms. The only thing that can, uh, we can take with us to heaven are people. That's why I share the gospel and pass out tracts and ask for divine appointments. And I would encourage you, share the gospel as often as possible. Remember I told you about the application prayer? This is what I wrote in my journal, and I pray it right now with you. Lord, I want to live out your righteousness you imputed to me. I want to live as your ambassador, which is two days on my calendar, today and the day I stand at your feet. I long to be clothed and swallowed up by your immortality. For Christ's sake, amen. Well, before we go, two challenges I always have with you. Number one, find someone. Say, hey, I'm in this study and I'm supposed to share my findings with you and share them, and then, and then say, hey, could I pray my prayer, my application prayer? And you know what will happen? They'll probably say, hey, what kind of study is that? I've never learned anything like that in my life, and invite them to join you in a study. And number two, pray for us. Right now I'm teaching uh, a course of 22 students in East Asia, uh, and, and they're next-generation students, and I'm teaching them the book of Proverbs, and that's what God's called us to do. So it's time to go. Let me just pray for you right now. And uh, let me remind you of everything we've covered, okay? Uh, the reason we're doing this is I want you to stick with it. Do all 52 lessons. Survey the Bible. The most important doctrines we're going to cover and everything. And you're going to learn this lifelong study. Um, our week 40 is about these three key lessons. Only perfect people go to heaven. And you can never live perfect. We're all sinners. And so it's the imputation, imputation of our sin to our substitute Christ. That's what verse 21 is about. We're going to stand in front of Jesus and give an account for every moment from when we were saved to the last day of our life. How are we supposed to live? Right where you are. I just got a note from someone. They live up by Banff in, uh, uh, where is that, Alberta? In Canada. They're so rural. You know what they said? going through the 52-chapter study. It's changing my life. I'm sharing it with people. I said, amen. You're being an ambassador right where you are. Write your title. Do your summary. Find those lessons. Apply them to your life. Dig deeper if you want to. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I pray for every one of these students, whether this is their first class and they're watching it right now or whether they've been with us and it's their 40th week. And I pray that you'd give them strength, that you'd prepare them for these dark days we're living through of deception and delusion from the devil, and that you would strengthen them in the inner man. And like Jeremiah 15, 16 says, that they would find your word in their study each day and eat it. That means open their heart in, in faith, asking you to, to open the scriptures and to illumine their minds. 
and that they would be transformed and they would become, the word of God would become to them the joy and rejoice in their heart. I pray that people would see their joy like, like that barista in Greece saw you just in the little reading and prayer in that coffee shop. And that's all because Jeremiah 15, 16 says, we're called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Thank you. Bless this study for Jesus' sake. And I encourage you, don't give up. Uh, get in your study Bible. Get in your journal. Mark up your Bibles. Have a great week. Find someone to share it with. And I'll see you next week. Galatians 1 and 2.